your friend or your lover, your choice. I've seen him. He's like fire and ice and rage. He's like the night and the storm and the heart of the sun. He's ancient and forever. He burns at the center of time and he can see the turn of the universe. We are the family of blood. Attack! What exactly do you do for him? Run! Save us. I am not the doctor. Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who. This is episode number 145, and we are back to review The Family of Blood. This is from Series 3 of Doctor Who, and I would like to welcome the three people joining me on this episode. Hello, Discussing Who family of mine. Hello. <laughs> so I couldn't resist that. So first up, welcoming host back to the show, the host of mine, guest co-host. I tried to do. A, I tried to do a sniff there for you. Guest of mine. <laughs> but I've got a real good one for this voice that you may not have heard on here quite a while. So welcome, guest co-host extraordinaire of mine, Nicole from Terminus Podcast. Oh wow! What an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> welcome Glad back. How are you? Yeah. I'm I'm doing well, thank you. You survived series eleven. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got and the I've been feeling it. To all the episodes this this that you've been putting out about series three, so I've been there in spirit, and I've been commenting. And you have been commenting, indeed, you have, yeah. and we appreciate that. Yeah. So welcome back. We're glad got to the have trivia you. Question. I even got the trivia question, but you guys missed it. So. Yes. Naughty naughty. <laughs> it's okay. So I would also want to welcome back Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Happy to be back to talk some uh, Doctor Who, man. Yeah, glad to be here. And it wouldn't be discussing Who without Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I'm very well. And sometimes it is discussing Who without me, but I appreciate your saying. <laughs> but it wouldn't be discussing Who without you. That's uh, It's just not the same. It's not the same. I know. <laughs> But since I, I have all been on record as saying that this is my favorite two-parter and, you know, my favorite story of all of New Who, uh, naturally, I'm very excited to be here and especially happy that Nicole is here because, uh, as I said last week, Nicole has sort of um, opened my eyes to the uh, uh, wonder uh, that is Martha Jones. Yes. So, you know, I have really, really underestimated her, even though I've always been conscious of how awesome she is in this story. But yeah, anyway, well, onward. you know, what's really cool about her. I mean, I just love how Freema Edgeman does an excellent job of following up on, you know, Rose Tyler. And then she's not Rose and makes, you know, to me, almost forget Rose. Who? Yeah, Rose, you know, Rose who? Rose who? Yeah. <laughs> so well, she's I. She's her own person. I mean, a lot of people were like, she's Rose Mock too. But I'm like, no, 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 she's her own person. Yeah, she's not Rose at all. Yeah. And the more you watch her, the more you realize this. Th no, she is absolutely not Rose. She's not Rose, literally. Yeah. 
So I really don't have anything in the news per se. However, I, I would be remiss if I did not say that Hulanta will be on May the 3rd through the 5th, 2019. It will be again at the Hilton Atlanta Airport in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can find out more at Hulanta.com. But Nicole, I think you have some Hulanta news to share. Um, yes, actually, they announced recently a GoFundMe to they're trying to raise some money to get a special Doctor Who guest. Now, they haven't said who it is, uh, though there's been a lot of speculation. I, I, I have no idea who it's going to be. Mm. And uh, so they're just I think the GoFundMe might be linked on the main Hulanta page. I know I have seen it on Facebook. I can't remember what the goal is off the top of my head, but it's a pretty big amount. So it could be like a really good guest. Oh, and somebody wow. said that it the, the person pairs nicely with um, our other big guest. Um, uh, oh, my uh, God. Uh, Tegan. <laughs> yeah, I'm like Tegan, but I couldn't remember her <laughs> actress's name. <laughs> Janet Fielding. Yes. yes. Like it just totally went out of my head. I'm like, right. um, but yeah. anyway, so her. maybe it's Peter Davison. I mean, who knows? No. We've never had him at Hulanta oh, really? before. Nope. Yeah. Hmm. But Sarah Sutton would make sense too. Right? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. such a Lisa fan. That would be amazing. Yeah. So that, that GoFundMe, uh, I guess you can get to it by going to Hulanta.com, but it's also at GoFundMe.com slash Hulanta 2019. Oh, Oh, thank you. Yeah, I don't have my internet up, so <laughs> I didn't look. So I want to ask Nicole a question. Uh, you know, I know this is a two-part story, and we reviewed human nature. So I want to, before we actually get into family of blood, I want to recap human nature a little bit and give Nicole an opportunity to tell us what you liked about that first part of the story. Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, so much. <laughs> um, we, we have all the time. Yes. <laughs> well, okay. Everybody sit still. Get very comfortable. Yes. No. Um, um, like Lee, this was actually a favorite story of mine. But I did, uh, Amy's Choice has beaten it out. I really love Amy's Choice. But it is my second favorite. So I will say that. Um, let's see. Uh, God, I have so many notes. I'm trying to like. Oh, um, I was listening to the episode that you guys did about it. And you guys were talking about the corporal punishment that was going on with yes. the beating and stuff. And ironically, I've been watching this British TV show called back in time for school, which does school and all the like decades for the last, I think it's a hundred years and they do a decade each episode and they reenact what it was like to have school back then. And yeah, they definitely had, to you were meant to have that cane and you were expected to you know hit the children and the modern teachers that were in it were like this is i mean they don't actually hit them in the show but they were like wow this is really intense but in the school guides for back then it was just totally normal that was what you did so it was pretty scary i was like oh my god yeah so um let's see uh one thing i did want to bring up which I never hear anyone talk about, and it makes me sad, is the episode doesn't really deal with Martha having to deal with losing her close friend Jenny. I mean, you know, we get the emotional stuff with John Smith and, and you know, his whole relationship going on with Joan, and, and that's all beautiful. But 
no one ever stops to think, you know, Martha just lost her best friend, you know, or at least this really close friend that she's had for the, I think it's two months that they've been there. And I mean, she gets taken over by an alien and killed. And Martha has to deal with that grief while handling dealing with these aliens. And no one's ever like, hey, are you okay about that? Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of sad, but hmm. I don't know. I've so never true. never thought about that. Have you guys? When I watched it again, it's one of the things that really struck me was that um, what it would be like to have um, someone that you know um, threatening you with somebody else's voice. Right. And Martha, in the second part, gets to ask the question, is, is there any part of Jenny still left? Yeah. No, no, there isn't. Yeah, and, and she totally so like, tells her how she died and everything. I mean, it's yeah. pretty dark. It was, it was funny, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I was remembering, uh, I, I wrote in my notes when I first saw the episode, the cold open when the, when they're running into the TARDIS and they're like, did you see him? And then he, he wakes up from the dream, John Smith. I remember I was watching them online at the time I was streaming them and I was like, did I, did I miss something? Did I miss an episode? I was so confused <laughs> yeah. for like 10 minutes. Like what is happening? I'm so confused. So that was just funny for me. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Sorry. Uh, I think that the creepy girl with the balloon always reminds me of the creepy girl in Remembrance of the Daleks. She even kind of has like this little cutesy musical late motif. You know, it's like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and she's like skipping around. And yeah, it's just, it's funny. And I likely own the journal because I love it. I also have the fob watch because it's, it's totally awesome. And uh, I told you guys about the full scene of the doctor doing the rules for Martha, the, where the David Tennant does all the improv, which is funny. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and the final thing I have is that the Journal of Impossible Things was the first visual acknowledgement of the doctors before the ninth doctor on the new series. Yes. So that's kind of a big thing. Wow. Was it really, yeah. man? Yeah. yeah. So we, we were speculating about that last time. I remember we were thinking, was it? Yeah. It, yeah. It, so, it, so it really was. Yeah. Cause and I thought still it just was. A, yeah, yeah. And I double checked on that and it, it mm -hmm. was. So. Cause now that you mentioned it, I remember what a big deal it was in uh, the next doctor when we saw, clips from the original series oh yeah uh, faces right and it was like okay that's a first <laughs> we yeah. hadn't seen that before so yeah. yeah um i think that was about everything i wrote i didn't want i didn't go into too heavy of notes because i knew you guys had already talked about it so it was a lot of just random observations like david Tennant when he's in the chameleon arch screaming <laughs> i don't know if you've ever seen the outtakes of that but it's uh it's pretty intense well but, uh, just, just the little bit that we did did see was intense. I, I mean, he went, he went for it, you know, and he had to do it multiple times. You sure. know, you know, screaming his head off, and you know, oh, I totally feel for Martha in that moment when she's just like got her hand over her mouth and she's just like, oh my god, because he's like, yeah, yeah, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I think that was most of it. Like, yeah, because most of my notes are about human nature i have some book notes and then mostly on family of blood good deal good deal well i say let's go ahead and get into family of blood so what does anybody have any objections to getting into the review sound the spoiler warning all righty 
So if you have not seen The Family of Blood, you know what time it is. Put us on pause, because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 So the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review The Family of Blood. This episode is the ninth episode in the third series of the British television program we all know as Doctor Who. It is part two of a two-part story, and it is written by Paul Cornell, and it aired on the 2nd of June, 2007. So, summary view, Mr. Clarence Brown. What did you think of this episode? Oh, man, loved it. I can see why Lee loves it so much. David Tennant's acting is just off the charts in this episode. I mean, he makes you feel every bit of emotion he's trying to uh, 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 project. It, it just oozes out of him. And, man, we, 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 we saw the death of a doctor. And, you know, that that's really awesome how it kind of mir- mirrors what we see when when the doctor uh, actually leaves. So um, I I loved it. I loved it for David Tennant's performance. And yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into the details. All right. Mr. Shackelford, what say you? Yeah. All, all the things Clarence says. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's just um, the writing is so tight and the performances are so full on. And it um, we, we've talked before about how some episodes, um, they end up being structured so that um, the story runs out before we're out of time and we feel like we're padding or we try to have multiple endings and there really isn't time for that. And I really admire how, how this script lets us, um, end the story proper and then end Latimer's little story and then give us another chapter of Latimer's story. Yes. And it still all works. And oh my goodness, it just, so, um, yeah, that's my quick thumbs up about it. All right. So, Nicole. Yeah. Well, um, you know, you definitely were talking about David Tennant's acting. Um, you know, I always joke that he's not my favorite doctor, but he is my favorite actor. I just <laughs> I think David Tennant is amazing. And I just love the layers of his performance because he certainly differentiates the doctor and John Smith. But even you have that part in the the ship, the family blood ship, when he's the doctor playing John Smith playing you know, or the yeah, is David yeah. Tennant playing <laughs> the Doctor, playing John Smith? It's like all these layers going on, and once you know that he's doing that, it's like a subtle difference in his performance, and it's just it's brilliant. I just and he just I every time he cries, it just makes me yeah. cry when he's like it, as soon as they show up with the TARDIS and they're like, come out and claim your prize. And he just starts freaking out. I'm just like, okay, I'm done. And I just cry for most of the rest of the episode. So, yeah, I have, I love most of the episode. The uh, punishment sequence is a little, uh, (laughs) it's definitely something that has been argued about a lot in fandom. And I have extremely mixed feelings about it. But on the whole, I just, I think it's an amazing story. Okay. So for me, I want to echo everything that the three of you just said. I love this. I love David Tennant in it. And it makes me remember why David Tennant is probably my second favorite doctor of all time. So that being said, 
I am so enjoying being into into the middle of the David Tennant era of the Tenth Doctor, and this is just wonderful. And Paul Cornell does something that we don't often see with a two-parter, because I know on this show, and there are, there are episodes we will get to that will be the same situation where it's a two-part story, and we can't review them as two separate episodes because there's not enough meat on the bones. I mean, we just did that with Evolution of the Daleks and Daleks in Manhattan. There wasn't enough story to make two podcast episodes. This has enough story to stand alone as each separate um, part. So for that, kudos and great episode. That's my summary. So I have a question for you guys, and I'm going to point this one to Lee first to see if he agrees. Mm-hmm. Russell T. Davies speculated that this story might be a little bit too dark for Doctor Who. What do hmm. you think? Too dark for Doctor Who. Too dark. Is this for Doctor, Doctor Who's Who? darkest hour? Well, it's um, boy. By the time you get to the uh, the Doctor being uh, the Punisher at the end, uh, um, yeah, it does seem like. Um, we're we're exploring new territory. Where if the doctor, if you if you cross the doctor, he won't kill you. He will send you to hell, yeah. uh, different kinds of hell of his own invention. Um, but but it, it's it's also the world that John Smith lives in, and the the awful headmaster and the just the terrible conditions of this boys' school and. Um, which was a norm, you know, and knowing that this is a societal norm and that these guys are openly being um, prepared to go uh, shoot largely unarmed people in Africa because, you know, just because and, they, and they have no idea that just because they can. Yeah, because, you know, yeah, by the by the end of the rush for Africa, 30 uh, percent uh, of the African continent is going to be a British colony. And this is how they're going to do it, you know, by equipping kids with machine guns. And and they and and through all this, they have no idea what's actually waiting for them just around the corner in, yeah. in terms of timeline. But there but there are people in the story who do know, including the family of blood. And so they keep talking about it and eventually will will visit the trenches of World War One. And it is it's it is a dark, dark episode. There's there's no getting around it. It's um well, and we were just talking about the the awful pain of the uh, the chameleon circuit thing, and um, is that what it's called? Chameleon arc. Chameleon, chameleon arc. arc. Yeah. Yes, yes. Not not to be confused with what makes the <laughs> what's supposed to make a TARDIS uh, blend in. Um, yeah, and you know, I, it was hard for me to watch the Doctor suffer so in forty two, and I don't think that was as bad as this. Oh, absolutely not. And then, my God, when uh, when John Smith is faced with the the position that uh, these awful, awful things are going to happen if he doesn't immediately lay down his life. Uh, it, it is. It's a nightmare. It's um, it is. Maybe this is Doctor Who's darkest hour. I don't know. Is that what I like about it? Hmm. I don't know. Interested to know what you guys think about that. It's it's a that's a very good question. Clarence, what do you think? Um, I totally agree with everything that Lee said, but, but I will add that I do think maybe they uh, attempted to alleviate that just a bit, especially on the scene where they're gunning down what they find out is just scarecrows with no people in them. Um, they were crying in that scene. So to me, that felt mm-hmm. like an attempt to maybe dull the blow just a little bit and have a little more sympathy for the them as well as the dark 
dark parts of this episode because there are a lot of them in in um like me excuse me like Lee mentioned at the end of the episode where um you know judge jury and executioner (laughs) doctor does his thing that i don't know how he can get around that really (laughs) he didn't kill him but yeah, you know, <laughs> no, that would have been more merciful. Mm. Nicole, what do you think? Well, I think one of the interesting things about this story, and I feel like I heard this somewhere else, so I don't know who said it. So I can't credit them, but they were talking about how the 10th doctor in particular is like very good at fooling us into thinking that he's very human. Like a lot of people that um, talk about him are like, he's the most human doctor and, and all this stuff. But actually in the story, it's a really good um, portrayal to show like when you contrast him with John Smith, you actually see how alien the doctor really is. And that's the thing about Tennant's doctor is I think that he's a lot darker than a lot of people think he is. Um, I feel like a lot of people, they get lost in David Tennant's charm and I think, oh, he's the fluffy, you know, Tigger doctor. But he actually has a really dark side. I mean, you think about like this and like Runaway Bride uh-huh. with the, the spiders and which, you know, actually even had a glimmer of that in this story uh, with Latimer using that in the in the watch. But, yeah, there is a very dark side to him that uh, it, and it's weird because it's it's vengeful, but it's almost not like. If you think about how he interacts with people, like with Joan at the end, how he doesn't get like how asking her to come along is is really not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably similar that I don't know if he understands how terrible his punishments are in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, well, they wanted to be, you know, immortal. I'm going to make them immortal. I mean, he knows he's punishing them, but I don't know if he gets it like how bad that is. Hmm. I don't know. It's it's definitely an interesting thing to think about. I'm not saying that he's bad, but I definitely think you can kind of see like where people say he's almost the master just <laughs> tweaked a little bit, you know, like he has the, you know, he could turn really badly if, if he was a different kind of man. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, and when you speak on David Tennis, doctor being dark, um, I, I agree with that, but I think unlike uh, our previous doctor, he he doesn't brood in it as much. You know, you get that moment he has his hands in his, in his pockets and he's looking very, you know, serious and maybe contemplating and sad. And then the next moment he's happy-go-lucky David Tennant. You know, <laughs> he doesn't brood in it as much as um, Eccleston did, in my opinion. Yes. I, you know, I see, you know, I'm going to kind of agree, Clarence, with what you just said. The he does, like Nicole said, have a mean streak, and I don't want to even really want to say that, but a stern streak, I should say. But in uh, The Christmas Invasion, he basically says, you know, what kind of man am I? I don't give second chances. You know, he's, yeah. you know, he says that from the very so beginning. So having said that, I don't think this was too dark. Because if we go back and we look at things that the doctor has done from the very beginning, he has sent, you know, he's destroyed Daleks. And that's regardless of what they are. They are living creatures that he has destroyed. He has, you know, destroyed other bad guys. He's destroyed, um, you know, 
this, that, and the other. There's, there's things that the doctor has done that has been just as bad or worse, but for the greater good than what happened, in my opinion, in this episode. I just think that it was written so well that it just seems maybe for the setting that it was in, it just seemed a little bit more obvious, maybe. Mm. Well, I think there's a there's a, a, a difference that we recognize between the doctor punishing bad guys because they've threatened humanity and goodness. Hmm. In this case, it feels personal. It feels like, OK, you cheated me out of this life I could have had with her. So you're going to pay. Yeah, that that's seems what, that's what, it feels like love oriented, almost like some reciprocal John Smith love thing. Yeah. And and it does. It changes the stakes. It's like, hey, you're not just doing that because they're they're bad guys. You're doing this because they pissed you off. And that's that's real different from what we're accustomed to. So so I want to ask you guys and I want to actually focus, if you guys don't mind, a little bit on John Smith, because this is the first time John Smith has been more than a moniker, you know, been more than a name. And we see this alternate doctor. And last week, I asked Lee and Clarence the question, what would you say was the biggest difference between the doctor and John Smith? And Nicole, I would like to pose that question to you as we move into this. What is your interpretation, the biggest difference between John Smith and the 10th doctor? Well, um, I think... Lee probably said this was that he he's he's very unsure of himself. He's he's kind of Your like Clarence and self, I both said that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. His self-confidence is is definitely not like the doctor. And even the doctor doesn't always isn't always sure of himself, but he can fake it till he makes it. I mean, he comes <laughs> in with authority and, you know, even if he doesn't know, he pretends to know. And um, but the other thing is he's he's a bit befuddled i mean i love when and uh, martha yells at him like god you're rubbish as a human you know? <laughs> it's just he's it's like oh, oh, i don't know what to do and it, it takes like joan and martha to kind of like get him into action and he just he's not good under pressure <laughs> you know he's um he's apparently desperate for love or something because they fall in love super quick you know <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely love the love story between John Smith and Joan, but it is really quick for the amount of emotional heft that the story gives it because they just learned each other's names pretty much. Mm. And now it's like we're going to marry each other and be together forever. And that's <laughs> very sort of teenage love. But um, I don't know. He's just it's just that sort of quiet, sweet man like in the book. He was actually very like he didn't like any of the military stuff or the corporal punishment or any of that. He was he was a pacifist and kind of shy. And and they play a bit on that in this version. But obviously, he seems OK with, you know, someone getting beaten. But um, he's very much a man of the time. But also, you know, they make comments about him being very like that he's left the kettle on. He's. He's not all there. He's got his head in the clouds. So um, I guess that's the biggest difference. I don't know. That was a lot of talking around nothing. But I, I think that was kind of how I feel. Cool. Cool. You know, you actually brought up something that I was thinking when you brought up the comment about Martha and her friend earlier. 
while you were talking, I was thinking to myself, why did um, Martha not have the emotional detachment that, you know, the doctor did or that John Smith did? And I was sitting here thinking until you said it, oh, well, how long have they been there? And that is maybe my only critique is the whole love at first sight. And we don't see them learn their names basically until we're watching it. I That just kind of, I don't want to say cheapens, but lessens that love at first sight. And maybe, you know, there was a, an attraction be, between the two that you can't explain. I don't know. I'm not John mm-hmm. Smith or Joan, so I don't know. But, you know, that was the only thing that I would say that was just, I don't know, just a little bit off to me. What do you guys think? Um, I don't know. I, I think the thing that I like about John Smith is that um, usually we tend to, if we are to relate ourselves to the show, we relate ourselves to the companions. But I think this is the first time, at least for me, seeing the bumbling idiot doctor, not really idiot, but you know what I mean? Uh, it, yeah, I kind of related with the human nature of John Smith a little bit more than maybe the grandness of the doctor. And that's what I really loved about seeing him uh, with all these human uh, tendencies and emotion be kind of a normal guy, you know, and, and that's what really kind of drew me to to what he is in this story. Hmm. OK, Lee, what do you think? I always wish I had one of those uh, time machines as depicted in the show or vortex manipulator or whatever, because it, it's such a. um an important part of fiction from the past that the people fall in love very quickly and, you know, they go from meeting to, to marrying. And it, it certainly makes for, it's certainly convenient for storytelling purposes. But my understanding sort of of culture is that that's, that's sort of how people really did things. It really does seem like there's a lot of history of people meeting and then marrying immediately. Um, and I, I have always attributed it to the fact that people didn't live as long as that's what I was about to say. Exactly. Um, um, and that sounds morbid, but in a way it's kind of true, isn't it? Yeah. It, you know, you, you, you better act now (laughs) and make, make the hay while the sun shines. Um, so I, I, those things don't tend to bother me anymore, largely just because I, I believe in that as a historical fact, but, but certainly there are TV shows where it, it, it strains credibility. There's, there's some, yeah. Mm. We we could we could think of many examples where you're saying, well, they really only just met, but <laughs> yeah, insta love. It's like a CW thing. You get that on there a lot. <laughs> insta love, yeah. yeah, yeah. It is. It's it's a great you know narrative shortcut. Um, but you know what? I'm going to add just another level of validity to what you just said. Not only did they not live as long, you know, as the lifespans being as long. But your ability, even in what was this, 1913, even in 1913, your ability to travel long distances was Mm -hmm. not like it is today. I mean, you know, we can get into uh, the vehicle and, you know, whatever you're driving. And if we wanted to go see Nicole, we could be there in six to seven hours, depending on which way, you know, we're going six Mm -hmm. to ten hours. Back yeah. then, that might be six to ten days. That's right. 
That's absolutely right. Yeah, crossing yeah. the Atlantic took a month. Yeah, exactly. See? And there was no mm. texting to each other. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so That's right. Is, I guess what I'm yeah. saying is, you know, you're just open to, okay, this is I, I, not that you're settling. I don't mean that, but you're, they were des- they were desperate. No, but in but, a way, you know. But but I guess they're more. I, I would say appreciative. You know, whereas we're That's we're right. maybe more finicky and picky because of how society is. Yeah. You were more um, appreciative, not and, desperate. And, yeah, and I think also you have to look at the modern day the. The way we approach this situation is just totally different. Uh, we're not confined within the, the structure of marriage for the most part. Um, if you, if you look across the nation or across the world. So I think just that approach there is very different. We don't really think fall in love and get married. Um, is usually a primal urge thing more, uh, maybe more so today or at least more, um, Acknowledged today because I'm sure it was going on back that time too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But and, but we do actually get infatuated really quickly, and that can feel like love to some people. I know some people are like, "Oh my god, I'm so in love with this person that they've known maybe less than a month," and um, that's that's not abnormal. I mean, yeah. if you sit with yourself and you're like, "No, I'm probably not really in love. I'm just sort of <laughs> obsessed or infatuated." You know, they were probably just infatuated with each other, yeah. you know, and not to that doesn't belittle the relationship at all. It's just kind oh, of funny that I'm just I, like, whoa, they're like full on in there. Aren't they? No, <laughs> and I think there were probably a lot of people who, who had those feelings about each other, you know, puppy love as they may have been. But yeah. they they got married on the strength of that and then stayed together for 50 years. Yeah, <laughs> true, true, right. true. Uh, and Joan's not like a young girl. I mean, she's no. been married before. She's, married she's before. been in love. She. She knows what's up. I mean, she doesn't want to wait around. She's like, I like this guy. I'm going to go for it. I love how forward she is. I mean, Mm -hmm. it feels slightly out of character for someone of that time, but I do appreciate that she's just like, no, I like him. I'm going to ask him to the dance and I'm going to, you know, she's just super forward with him. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because it's one of the many things I really appreciate about that performance that I, you, I feel like there's a moment of calculation where, where she, she, it feels like she's saying, I probably shouldn't say this, but oh, this, the opportunity may never come again. I'm just going to say it, you know, that she checks herself and then she does it. Yeah. And I, I love that. But you just reminded me, I wanted to ask, uh, as, as the, as John Smith lies dying in their vision of the future, uh, he asks if the kids are, are all safe. And she says the children and the grandchildren are safe. Yeah. That was a, that was a Paul Cornell thing. I remember him. God, I don't remember if it was the commentary or an interview somewhere. He said that was what his father said when he died. Ah, he interesting, said yeah. he just wanted to make sure that everyone was safe. He's like, are the kids okay? Are the grandchildren okay? And he just thought that was perfect because that's all John Smith would care about. You know, it's true. Yeah. Make sure everyone is okay. It's beautiful. But because the word safe is used, I, Ah, I've assumed that this meant that it's, that it's world war two. Oh, well, no, he would be a bit old for that, wouldn't he? Because well, that that's what been... I was wondering. As we were talking yeah. about how how people are living longer now, I was doing the mental math. I was thinking if he's saying that because they're in the middle of the blitz or something, that's just 30 years well, later. That's a good point. So how? Hmm. Hmm. So I would say that, that, that John Smith was in his mid 
thirties, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so that would have made him, you know, 30 years later, mid sixties. So I, I would have said then that this would have been in the fifties or sixties when based Mm -hmm. on how he looked. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make him a lot older. Yeah. So maybe it's not uh, Nazi planes that he was thinking the kids needed to be safe from, but that is lovely to know that that's very personal to Paul Cornell. That's yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I, I feel like, I don't remember. I watched like the confidential and a couple things uh, earlier today. And David Tennant was saying how it took, I think four hours to get into the old person makeup. Yeah. And the scene took about 15 minutes to shoot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, there's a reason why Joan isn't in makeup too. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's just like super quick, but it like, if they left that out, I don't think it would have as much like I, the, the flash forward is really good, but I, I think that's a great cap to it is, it's like a really nice moment. You know, I purposely wanted to bring up the conversation that we just had and I timed it and we we're we're coming in at about 7 to eight, 9 minutes of conversation about a character that did not exist for yeah. except for this episode and this, you know, this story, this two-part story and I just again I, I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but I think this is brilliant writing that we are able to have a 10 minute conversation basically about a character that didn't exist. This was so much better done than if he would have just come into the school knowing he was the doctor and said, Mm -hmm. I'm going to hide and I'm going to call myself John Smith. Yeah. 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 Because you wouldn't have the, the heart wrenching decision at the end. And it's not the doctor who has to make it. It's John Smith. Right. And he's I love that he's even though he's a good man, he's also complicated because he's selfish, too. He's like, I should just give this to them and just let them, you know, take it so I can have my life. You know, he it's like he's going through all the emotions. It's not just like, okay, I guess I'm going to kill myself. I mean, he he really goes through the ringer trying to deal with this. And that makes it credible. That's. Yeah. And I love I had forgotten this moment that Joan tells the doctor then later, he's braver than you are. Yeah. He's braver than you are. Yeah. You chose to run or hide or something mm. and he chose yeah. to die. Yeah, yeah, that was intense. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. I just love like the innocence that John Smith has in this situation. I just think it's beautiful. Um, and, and there's a moment when he says, uh, why can't I just be John Smith? You know, David Tennant bringing out the tears over here. <laughs> yeah, with his life and his love, and yeah. like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And poor Martha's just like, because we need the doctor. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's got to be hard. That's the other thing. Like, obviously, John Smith goes through the ringer in this, but I feel like Martha just really gets it too. I mean. She really needs the doctor to come back. She doesn't want to, like, hurt this John Smith guy. He's, of course, you know, raging at her about, like, you know, what am I? Just a story. And and you're here to execute me. And mm-hmm. he didn't even mm-hmm. know he was going to fall in love. What kind of guy is that? And she's like, that's not her fault. <laughs> you know, she's just like, right. hey, uh, you know. And He's course, not wrong, though. No, he's not wrong. But she can't. But, it, like, but what it's is still she not her fault. What say to that? You know, I just... But she, yeah. I feel like she. Okay, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> I think she just she takes it really well. She's so strong in this story because she could have just collapsed at that. She could have just been like, "Oh my god, okay, yeah," because that's got to be extremely hard. 
for him to just going go at her like that. You know, it's it's rough on her. She she's towering like a mountain. This that really is sort of the moment where I was saying, my God, Nicole's right. Martha's amazing. Uh, <laughs> What what would have happened if you put any of his other companions in this position? I think they would have all folded up like a house of cards at this point. Mm. But River wouldn't. River, River wouldn't. Well, Wait. River would have. Yeah. She would have. She would have fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. Exactly. Have, this, this story would be five minutes long. But, yeah. 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 She, she would have like she would have gotten in the way of Joan and. Oh <laughs> oh oh! That would have been really good. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. John, there wouldn't have been a chameleon arc or whatever. Uh, that would have, that she would have just killed the, the family in the first, uh, five minutes would be done. Oh. <laughs> yes. Spoilers. Fact. Yes. There's probably been fan fiction about it. I know there's fan fiction <laughs> with, uh, with the story with Rose instead of with Martha, but it's usually that John Smith gets with Rose romantically and, and not Joan. So it's very different, but. Yeah. So I've been sitting here talking about John Smith and we've mentioned Joan, but, and Clarence, I'm going to pose this one to you as a character and seeing the two part story now in full. What is your take on Joan as a character? Mm. Uh, I think we mentioned some of the things before her um, having been in a marriage before and she's trying to find love again. And I think it was maybe <laughs> The hardest part is seeing her have to actually give John Smith up um, the need of the many, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, after I guess she sees the light, she she is willing to do that. But, you know, again, to that flash forward that we talked about as well, uh, just just a painful trip for her, even though she knew in the end it was the right thing to do. Got you. What about you other two? Do do you have anything? And whenever I say, what do you think of Joan as the character of Joan? What do you, is there anything else that you want to add about Joan? And then I'll wrap up my thought on Joan. Mm. Well, I think that I like that she, she holds both John Smith and the doctor to the mark. Like with John Smith, she's like, Hey, you know, I know this really sucks, but you know, you have to do this. You know, this is like she doesn't waver. She could easily just be like, no, stay with me forever. If she had gone that way, I don't know that John Smith would have given his life. Like, I think that she Mm. had to to say, no, no, this is something you have to do. And the other thing is with the doctor, when he like invites her along and which is so terrible. I mean, oh, my God. Talk about being totally off the mark. But You know, she has to say, you know, no, John Smith is dead. You just look like him. And then she goes further and says the whole thing about, like, you know, had you not picked this place on a whim, would anybody have died? And I mean, that was gutsy. That was was harsh. I was like, oh, my God. And um, I I just feel like and, and this relates to another character, too. But I feel like Tim and Joan at the end of the story are kind of like two ways to feel at the end of the story. It's like the two sides of fandom. You have mm. like one is like in awe of the the doctor and he's godlike and he's amazing. And the other one is like kind of terrified and horrified. <laughs> and just like you need to get away. And so it's just because the story's so dark and it touches on all this stuff. I feel like they're like the perfect kind of stand in for the audience to be like, wow, 
these are some, you know, thoughts about the doctor sort of thing. And they both exist and they're both correct. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's kind of an interesting thing the way it's, it's verbalized or shown with these characters. Good, good point. Good point. That's a great point. Yeah. You know, my thing with Joan, I think in a different circumstance, maybe obviously with a different doctor, if you wanted to have gone back in time and chosen a companion that was not in present day, she has all the markings of a great companion. Because if you think about it, look at the things that she experienced and considering the time that she was, she had a very open mind or open to things that really didn't make sense. And, and candidly, people in 2019 might not wrap their head around. And she, you know, handled that and she handled it well while still being the person of her time specifically a way that that was shown was the comment that she made to Martha about being a doctor, which is one of my favorite yeah. scenes. I love that scene. <laughs> yeah. So Clarence, when she says to, you know, um, that's certainly nonsense when the, um, Martha says that she's training to be a proper doctor and she says, you know, that's certainly nonsense, hardly one of your color. And then Martha turns to her and says, oh, do you think? Did you notice the look on her face when Martha said that? And and if so, what were your thoughts? I mean, it was just classic Martha putting her in her place. Um, and Joan's remark wasn't, although it may seem very malicious, she was really going off of the facts of the time when she made that comment. So I think it was just beautiful how uh, Martha just goes to talking about the bones in the hand. And I thought that was great. So, um, you know, it, her reaction, again, feels harsh to us because we're in 2019. But, you know, at the time, I don't, I don't think it was it was out of the ordinary. No, I don't no, think it was out of the ordinary. No. And I kind of but she has the go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say she has the good grace to be embarrassed because the next thing she says is incredibly stupid. And you could tell she's just fumbling like, oh, OK, I mean, she got her. So, yeah, you could have read that in a book. Yeah, I did. <laughs> For my dance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And you know, with Martha, she was probably just, you know, she's been suppressing her personality for two months. Yeah. Like she cannot show how intelligent she is, how, you know, everything like she cannot yes. show this. So for that moment, it probably just was like the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, she's, exactly. It's like, she's finally pretty salty through the whole story. Like she has those great moments when she like knocks on the door. It's like, don't come in without knocking. And she goes back and she knocks. The door. <laughs> she knocks she yeah. has her moments where she's salty, but there she's just like, you know, I'm so done with this time period. Like, yes, I can be a doctor and here's some, you know, facts for you. And I don't think she's like either of them are being rude, but it's just one of those like it's it's a very interesting moment between us. <laughs> the maid is full of fire. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. We should have taken her body instead. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, I think it's a testament to both of them, the way they acted it, you know, portrayed, you know, acted it out, portrayed it, however you want to say it, that I didn't find Joan's comment malicious. And I, you know, I'm going back to, I think Clarence is what you said, that it was just, you know, she said it, it was a person of her time. 
uh, and I didn't take it as malicious. On the flip of that, I didn't see Martha while making a point. Martha wasn't going out of her way to be hurtful. And so I just thought it was an interesting light bulb moment, maybe for Joan and a breather, so to speak, for Martha to kind of say, here's who I am. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, despite even the whole like that, she's a bit envious of the romance part. She respects Joan and she, you know, doesn't talk down to her. And she even, you know, at the end when the doctor says, okay, we're ready to go. And she's like, do do you want me to talk to her? Like she's, she likes Joan, you know, I I don't think she wanted to be like, yeah, let me give you some, you know, facts, you know, here you go. Um, But (laughs) Because she she probably understands that Joan isn't coming from a place of maliciousness, but but also she's like, oh look, I know my stuff. Let me show you, <laughs> you know. Um, so that, that that little encounter made me think. Uh, I, I think I mentioned before that I have a a, a dear friend who's uh, on the um, unfortunately short lived uh, USA series Underground, uh, playing the plantation owner. And uh, so she has this whole company of African-American actors who have become good friends of hers. But then when the camera rolls, she has to call them the N-word and look down at them and, and so on. And she, she talks about the, the emotional stress of that, uh, that, uh, how, that every time they call cut, then she can reach out to the person next to her and say, I am so sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is hard. This is hard for me to stand here and look you in the eye and say that. Yeah. I just I could sort of imagine uh, Freema Adjaman and um, – What's your name? Plays Joan here. I can imagine them having that moment too. Well, uh, Jessica, the, Jessica Hines. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I was about to say her old name and <laughs> forgot. <laughs> she got, she's Jessica Hines. Well, I almost said Redfern and then I was yeah. like, no, that's just the character's <laughs> last name. Yeah. Joan Redfern. Yeah. So anyway, let me ask you guys mm. the, there is a comment that, um, well, now I almost called her Jessica. Joan said, and she said, I must seem very small. And this yeah. is not the first time we've heard a companion refer to themselves as being small to the doctor. I know I think Amy has said that. I think Bill has said that. And I'm sure countless others have said that. Clarence, why do you think that people often wonder or companions often wonder if they are small to the doctor. Oh man. Uh, in many respects, the doctor, doctor can feel like a God, you know, um, someone that lives forever, someone that can travel, traverse uh, space and time. I mean, just a very thought can, can be a, a lot to handle. So, I mean, you know, that that's pretty much just a natural reaction. I feel, <laughs> don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could buy that. I, I think maybe as a plot device, Perhaps it's done to help humanize the doctor because it is a question that the doctor has to respond to, which makes the audience relate to the doctor. But as far as the character goes, I just think that he is so grand and he is so um, almost godlike in some aspects and yeah, I could definitely see if you're traveling with the doctor and you're seeing this person doing all the things that the doctor does. Yeah, I could kind of feel small with my, oh, well, you know, here's me sitting in front of a computer and, oh, and the computer can only do so much. Oh, you've got a police box you can go anywhere. So, yeah, yeah. I would feel small, too. 
But the interesting thing is he doesn't say no to that, which is weird because she says, I must seem so small to you. And he doesn't say, oh, no, you know, <laughs> yep. sometimes he'll say something like, oh, no, Ameri- uh, you, you no, know, you're grand, humans and are you're, yeah. great and, you know, whatever. He, he just goes right into like travel with me and and all that stuff. And I, I remember because I was looking through the the script just to kind of make sure I didn't miss anything. And I, I was surprised that he doesn't actually really acknowledge her saying that. Do, do, it's kind of interesting. Do you feel like he's being rude at the end here? Because um, does she ask him to change back? And he's like, no, just real quick at, at the very near the end of the episode. Well, like, like, wow. Well, it's like harsh. The, was that the Christmas invasion? You kind of get that exact same thing when the ninth doctors are generated into the 10th doctor and him and Rose have that same thing where she says, can you change back? He says, yes, or, or something. I don't remember, but it's very similar. I think what's worse is when he's like, Hey, why don't we just give it a try? I mean, I can do anything John Smith can do. And I'm just like, Oh, <laughs> oh my God. But I, but I can actually do it better. Right. I was just like, oh, man, he uh, I'm surprised he didn't yeah. get a slap for that one. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, just like, Whoa. Maybe, I'm sure you think so. I'm sure. Right. You, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was uh, that was so awkward. But again, he's he's an alien that shows how alien he is. And that's got to be so hard for her because he does look like John Smith, but he is not John Smith at all in that moment. Oh, and, and his his moment of realization when and he asks Martha, you know, so, so apparently the idea that I could fall in love would never occur to this man. Exactly. And that's who you want me to go back to be. Right. And <laughs> he want and, and you want me to be lonely because yeah. he says, why do you travel with him? And he's lonely. He's lonely. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So were e- any of the three of you wanting John Smith to stay around. I mean, we know that the change back to the doctor has to be inevitable because it's the story and it's not, you know, John Smith that we're watching every week. It's Doctor Who that we're watching every week. So having said that, were you thinking like, oh, I'm so sad to see John go? Well, from where we are now, spoiler, looking backwards, I want to say, hey, Rose gets to have it both ways. I don't, uh, <laughs> don't see why yeah. Joan can't. Uh. Well, we also get the great granddaughter writing the book. Remember yes. that? And then of time. Right. Spoiler, yes. Yeah. Spoiler. Oh, yep, sorry. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is but, she her um, great granddaughter? So, but, 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 but were we, at that moment, were we sad <laughs> to see John Smith go? Yeah, yeah, because you know he's made a terrible sacrifice. But again, because the 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 showrunners and Paul Cornell do not want us all to to commit suicide when the show's over, this <laughs> moment of him being being Clark Kent, who is secretly Superman inside the uh, the Family of Blood spaceship, is glorious. So you can't, you're just punching the air instead. It's the Doctor. So you know for a minute. Yeah, you're you can so happy that. when he comes back. That's the yeah. that's the weird thing. It's like you're you're sad when John Smith goes but when the doctor pops back up you're like oh you Yay. know it's just so exciting mm. what, yeah. about, what about you claire i'm curious uh man, i don't know man I, just speaking of that spaceship scene uh the, the subtle switch in tone from david Tennant, and we talk about his fantastic acting in this episode but man did you like not immediately feel that the doctor was back when he just subtly switched a little bit and you know it was just me projecting, but I felt like his hair looked different. I was looking at his facial features like, what's the, what? he, 
he did something there that just totally flipped the switch. And I was I was eating up every second of that, man. It was just wonderful to see how <laughs> okay, he so. transitioned there. Yeah, because he even does that when he's holding the watch, too, which I love that bit. When he tells Tim that he's got the psychic engram or something in his brain. Yeah. And he's like, oh, is that how he talks? That's, yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and now the artist Rod going, yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. So I've got, I've got, here's, here comes my response. And, you know, don't, don't hate me for my response, but my response to my question about John Smith is I was so glad to see John Smith go. I was so ready for, for, um, the doctor to be back. I mean, I felt bad for him, but, and this may be cold of me, but I remember watching it from the first time I watched it thinking, would you just go ahead, go ahead and go away so the doctor can come back? Wow. You are harsh, man. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. No, Don't hate Kyle me for that. Kyle is the alien in this situation. <laughs> but it was like, where is my doctor? I want my doctor. And when Martha, uh, came in and was saying, you know, you've got to come back and you've got, you know, I need you. And I'm like, yes. And whenever he's going like, oh, but you know, and the whole thing you guys were talking about, oh, well, he travels alone. And I was like, no, he doesn't. He has companions. Shut up. Turn back. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so that Martha was my loves in the bits. So she totally come back. Yeah. But now Clarence, what you said, and I again remember this from first time watching it. When he walked in after he had, um, you know, touched the watch and, you know, and you see him again, you know, I, I, I'm looking and I'm looking for the doctor as soon as he walks in. I don't think, I mean, I'm thinking he might be John Smith, but I'm so ready for the doctor that I'm going, Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. That's the doctor. That's the doctor. It's got to be the, yes, it is the doctor. So. You know, poor John Smith, but I was glad to have my 10th doctor back. <laughs> You've got no feeling, are you, ain't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, well. <clears throat> Both of my hearts were so happy. <laughs> I, I said that with all my hearts, I promise. <laughs> so, since I must now seem very small, I have one final uh, question before I want to comment on the final scene of the story with uh Tim. Well, actually, you know what? Let's talk about the Tim scene real quick. What did you guys think of that scene at the end where you see Tim as an old gentleman at this memorial and he looks over to the side and he sees Martha and the 10th doctor, not John Smith, but the 10th yeah. doctor. What did you think? Any of you? I oh, cried. I, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, mean, I, so I knew good. it was coming and I still cried. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that whole, um, you know, Armistice Day ceremony thing, you know, with the poppies and everything, it's already sad. But when you see him look over and see them and he's still holding the watch, it's mm. just like, oh, my God. And that poem is beautiful. Uh, For the Fallen by Lawrence Binion, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful poem. Um and it's just, I don't know, I love that moment. And it just, it's so interesting because you think about there's him, you know, toward the end of his life and Martha and the doctor just look the same as he saw them, you know, back in the day. And it's just, it's kind of like when the doctor comes back for Amy, there's this, he still looks the same, but she's all grown. And it, it's got to be interesting to kind of make him seem even more godlike and out of time. Mm. 
Yes, and I, I have to agree with what you said. I, I it, this is sort of like Vincent and the Doctor. No matter how many times you see it, no matter how many times I watch it, and I know what's going to happen at the end, watching it will always make me tear up at the at the end. It doesn't necessarily always make me cry, but it will always make me tear up. Sure. Just the way that they portrayed it, because my brain says to me when Martha and the Doctor left. I see them as immediately going forward in time and visiting that very moment. It's not some later time in the Doctor and Martha's time stream. It's they get into the TARDIS. The next time they get out, that's where they're at. And that's their wrap of the story. Next stop, Armistice Day 2007. Yes. And you make me wonder, really, for the first time, do any of you have any trouble with the fact that that Latimer's um I always call him Latimer that his precognitive flashes are never really explained mm. just, it's, he, well I he mean just, they say the thing about the, the psychic bit in his brain but yeah they don't really well, that's true. talk much about it I mean like in the book he actually takes on like time lord abilities and stuff Interesting. because yeah. um, it's like it's not in a watch it's in a cricket ball and he has that but yeah, it's it's interesting. I I think it's just what the doctor says about like he's a bit, you know, psychic. But yeah. and and then they purposely make him to be doctor like. You know, he has a very doctorish personality. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that guy at the end, I can't even remember his name. The actor, he didn't even say anything. No, <laughs> he, like, he doesn't he have to. Try, no, you know? no. just, huh. um, and and I always tell my screenwriting students who love. Uh, flash forwards and flashbacks and say you have to make sure that the audience understands that this that person a and person b are both person a it's not going to be obvious you know and one of the easiest things is to have them holding something you know <laughs> if you're going to show this is that person 10 years earlier or, or you know, 60 years later yeah then make sure that they've and so the, the pocket watch is perfect and we cut right from young latimer's hand to the old man in the wheelchair, we tilt up to his face and, you know, of course, Sangster, but it's okay. We, we, we get it. That's Latimer. We got it's it. Enough. It's enough. Yeah. It's, a, it's absolutely enough. It's all we need. Yeah. So I have been reading a lot of the comments on, um, our Facebook page. Uh, for instance, our friend Colin Hicks says that this is the start of one of the best stories of the se- of the series. And, you know, it echoes back to what you guys say. Uh, Dave Cooper uh, sent me a message talking about the cricket ball that we were talking about last week, um, that it was inspired by the fifth doctor and, um, you know, brought up a very cool picture of that, which I will put in the show mm-hmm. notes. Was but, that like Ford of Doomsday or whatever, when he like throws it in space to project himself? <laughs> ah, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah. But, but I want to, you know, just prefacing those as just two comments. My final question before we get into the wrap up is why do you guys think that so many people respond with such admiration for this two-part story? And Nicole, since you're our guest, I'll let you take that first. Why do you think that so many people respond, yourself included, with such admiration for this two-parter? Well, it's interesting because in many ways, it's very much not a classic 
and I don't mean like old series, but a classic style Doctor Who episode. I mean, the Doctor's barely in it. It's it's very different. It's a love story. You know, there's all this stuff about it that, you know, if this was the first story that somebody saw, you know, I don't know that they would be like, oh, this is what Doctor Who's about. But it still has so much heart and so that the story is so well written, I think. And the, the acting is so good, not just David Tennant. I mean, David Tennant's awesome, but you know, a lot of the other actors are really good. I mean, I even like, um, Harry Lloyd is a, a son <laughs> of mine. I mean, he's gone on to do other things like he's hamming it up for sure. But you know, it's, I love all the characters in it and everything is just so well shaped and it's such a, such an emotional ride i mean i i forgot to take notes until like halfway through i was watching it and i'm like oh my god i'm not taking notes because you just get caught up in it it's like it's really like it just sweeps you away and i don't know i think that's the charm of it and i i'm guessing that's why a lot of people love it i mean i i know when i first saw it i was like oh my god this is amazing just like the writing and the acting and I you know I can't speak for other people, but I I think it's just it's just a really good story. Okay, so Clarence, what about you? Why do you think that people have such admiration for this story? Uh, in addition to echoing everything Nicole just said, I think that it's very relatable. It's very relatable. We see the Doctor in his human nature be John Smith, and what's not more relatable than than love? And that's kind of the journey that we see him go through in this two-parter. In addition to, I think what I love about it as well is seeing him have these glimpses of finding himself again throughout all of this turmoil and things going on around him. So, you know, I think it's very relatable on on the love aspect and just the gamut of emotion across the board from the doctor, from Martha, from Joan. Um, it's, it, it strikes all those tones and, you know, again, just very relatable in that sense, emotionally, the love, the doctor finding himself, all points that I think people can gravitate to and, and, and see, see is very enduring. All right. Mr. Shackelford. Yeah. In, in addition to echoing everything that Nicole and Clarence say, um, it's, it struck me once again that I think we all enjoy uh, most of us enjoy a, a what if story. Um, it's a, it's, it's what works for most people about the mirror universe thing in Star Trek that I personally don't like, but yeah, what if, what if you had all these conventions and all of these characters only, you know, you turn it, you know, 180 degrees in some way, things like that. Um, it's the last temptation of Christ. It's the next generation episode, to inner light. Or of course, uh, Captain Picard gets to live a whole life that isn't his own. Yeah, and um, uh, and I think those stories are fascinating to to us um, because we wonder about the possibilities of our own lives. What if something had gone differently? What if a different choice had been made? And uh, that's of course intrinsic to time tra- a lot of time travel stories anyway. So this is w- this is uh, the last temptation of the Doctor, um, and. I, I just I think that aspect that aspect of it has to be fascinating, uh, and and it leads to this heartbreaking decision that he actually doesn't make, but somebody else does. It's it's just uh, amazing to me, uh, and I and I came away from it this time more impressed with it than I was before, and 
And completely unrelated to any of that, I had forgotten. I remembered the scarecrows. I had forgotten that there's a freaking army of the scarecrows. How could I have forgotten <laughs> that? They just keep coming and coming. I thought, well, I don't remember that. Yeah, it's like but, a straw man argument. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Anyway, so, Kyle. So, so for me, you know, this is, again, not one that I go back and watch often, but it is one that I remember fondly. And loving that I'm doing a review of it because it makes me appreciate it more and more and more. And I have written, I mean, I've read, not written, I have read many things by Paul Cornell. And I say that his work is brilliant and he did a brilliant job with this. It is everything that the three of you just said. I love the fact that it is a historical piece and it is something that has so many elements in it. Yes, the family of blood were campy in some aspects and in many aspects, but the whole family of mine, brother of mine, sister of mine, I don't know. It was just, it didn't annoy me. I actually, you know, thought it was kind of cool. Um, I love the fact that we can talk about this as a two part story and both of them have meat on their bones, like I said earlier. I think the characters were well written. I think that we got to see a version of the Doctor that we've never seen before in John Smith. And regardless of how cold-hearted I may have been, I think it was an excellent way to see what being human could be like. And all the things that you guys said, and I understand why so many people respond and have the admiration that they do, because it is a very good story. It's well acted, well written, and I'm going to start off doing the reviews and give it a five out of five. So, Nicole, on a scale of one to five, what say ye? Oh, gosh. Um I am going to say, you said out of five, right? Out of five. I think I'm going to say a 4.9. I only like mark it down slightly just because there's a few things about the book that I prefer as far as like, I wish they would have done it here. And so that makes me a little sad. But so that's my one kind of markdown. Got you. All right. Mr. Clarence Brown, what to say ye? Five. Loved it. Enough said. Huh? <laughs> All right. Shackelford Lee. Um, loved it. Enough said. Five. Mm. Yeah. Well, so said, so say we all. Yeah. Let's say. The Russian judges said 3.2, but we. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so, did anybody have any comments or notes or anything they wanted to bring up about this story that we did not cover? Well, I did want to say one thing that. I think is interesting in contrast with the book is that the reason that the doctor becomes human in the book, it's the seventh doctor and Bernice Summerfield, Benny and Benny has just lost someone very dear to her. And the doctor wants to comfort her and take care of her as a friend, but he's so alien. He doesn't know how. And so he literally goes and buys a device to make him human so that he can better learn how to be you know, empathetic and take care of her, which I just think is so sweet. Mm -hmm. Where in this story, the doctor becomes human, but at the end, I, 
I don't know that he's that more empathetic. Like, I don't know that, like, I assume he's, he remembers everything that, that happened to John Smith, but I, I almost don't feel like he learned anything. So it's, it's kind mm-hmm. of, it's, it's definitely interesting. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's definitely interesting that they changed that because it could have went in some interesting places with the 10th doctor, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other really funny thing is uh, one of the, the aliens in the book, they're called the Aubertides. They're shapeshifters. And one of the Aubertides is called green eye. And he actually pretends to be the 10th doctor to try to fool Benny into, you know, giving up the doctor's position. And I just think it's funny. That's the 10th doctor. Oh. You know? This was written at a time when there were only seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just I, I find that kind of funny. So did they? I'm just curious. Did they describe the tenth Doctor? I I can't remember much about. I wish I had read the book recently, but um, he was just kind of like a lying sort of guy. They didn't like talk about what he looks like. I mean, I feel like the tenth Doctor in um, oh god, the uh, Moffat's here. Curse of the Fatal Death is probably closer to the 10th Doctor <laughs> with licking the mirror and stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't think he looked like the 10th Doctor at all. He liked corned beef sandwiches. I remember that. But well, it would have been, I will say this, <laughs> if that would have been true and they did somewhat describe, even if they said he wore a long coat and wore, yeah. you know, that sand shoes so or freaky. something, that would be creepy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to reread it and see because that would be really funny. (laughs) So, Lee and Clarence, do you have any notes that are anything you would like to mention that we did not mention? I really don't. Um, Yeah, no, I I really don't. All right. Mr. Brown? Uh, Just really quick, I'll mention a part when Martha tells um, John about the doctor being, being an alien and she goes and questions him. And I just love that she just does the logical thing and asks him about London, I believe. And he just spouts facts. Yeah, Nottingham. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it Nottingham? Oh, yeah. 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 She's like, you yeah. sound like an encyclopedia. Yeah. I, 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 those were my favorite parts of the episode, too. So. Yeah. And he knows right away what's happening. He says, you, don't tell me you don't believe me either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, romantic lost prince. It's like, no, no, doctor's not really romantic. <laughs> no. But then again, he, this doctor has not met River yet. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. You really like this River character, don't you? I know, you know, spoilers. <laughs> you know, who, who I is, know, I don't who, know who you're talking about. You know, as, <laughs> as this person said, who is this River? I don't know. But what I do know is, Mr. Shackelford, if anybody was listening and wanted to find out where they could find you on the internet, where else might they find you? Um, everybody knows, so I'm not going to say it. Are, are we going to answer the John Smith question this week? Are we going to? Ah, let's answer the John where? Smith question. Where and when was the first time that John Smith, the name was used by the doctor? Such a great question. I was so, you were so proud you... of me. Yes. Yeah, I was. I that's the second doctor, but I'm trying to. <sighs> I can hear him in my head, and I can't think of what it was. It was something that was not on Earth, and oh. and mm. and Bessie may have used one. Oh, so it was the third Doctor. No, 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 no. That's just a hint. It is oh. something oh. not on Earth, and Bessie so may have used one. used one. Wow. Huh. Because I thought it was Spearhead from Space. Oh, that is a word, yes, but not Spearhead. Space. 
Okay. Oh, um, 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 col- no, Colony in Space is another one. Um, not Ark in Space. Something no. round this way goes. Oh, the wheel in space. Bingo. Oh, that's how, yes, yes. That's how Bessie so could have used yeah. one, yeah. That's right. Wheel yep. in space. Yep. Yeah. It was Second so, Doctor, and it was Jamie that saw the name. He made the name up from a from a name on, I think, a box or a piece of equipment that he saw. Huh. That's and, right. It's been a minute since I, well, listened to that one because most right. of it's missing. But, <laughs> you know. We'll ask Dave if he remembers seeing it. So There yeah. you go. Uh, yeah. All right. So I think you were about to say the Relativity Podcast. Am I correct? Yeah, see, everybody knows. And but yeah, what is the Relativity Podcast for someone who is brand new to our yeah, show? That's that doesn't right, and know. we are getting new listeners. Welcome, folks. Hello. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for for joining us. Yeah, and this is the this is the point in the show where I say stop what you're doing and go listen to another podcast. And that's my ongoing radio drama serial, sci-fi radio drama serial for your ears and mind called Relativity. And you find it uh, anywhere you get your podcasts and at RelativityPodcast.com. And it has this awesome character on there named Nadia. She is the star of the show. So everybody, please go out and listen because Nadia is awesome. And I'm sure you've noticed that I've added in the closing credits this time that the role of Nadia, central computer Nadia, is played by her. Yeah. You did that especially for me, didn't you? I did. I absolutely did. (laughs) All right. Miss Nicole, what about you? Where can people find you on the Internet? Well, I do have some old podcast episodes. I'm vaguely on a hiatus. I'm trying to get back on the back on the saddle. Um, But it's uh, called Terminus. And uh, the the website is terminus.libsyn.com. But you can like search for it on uh iTunes, I think it's Terminus, a Doctor Who podcast, or I think it's on various, you know, places you can listen to podcasts. Um, and it's, it's me just talking about Doctor Who and being really nerdy. And yeah, I talk a lot about Doctor Who. <laughs> um, I <laughs> have very long episodes. Um, otherwise, uh, if you just want to find just me on Twitter, I'm a Radiance Baby and, uh, I, I sometimes, uh, don't always read my tweets, but um, I mean, re- uh, replies to them, but I, I like new friends and <laughs> cool so I'm happy to talk to people, especially about Dr. Who. Excellent. Excellent. So last, but definitely not least, Mr. Brown, what about you? For you comic book fans out there, if you want to hear two people talk about comics, in addition to other guests, here's somebody who's basically a comic historian and me, like the the layman guy who doesn't know much, kind of converse and go at it with the latest in comic books and their TV and movie adaptations. Uh, check out DiscussingComics.com, where we'll have an upcoming episode talking all about Captain Marvel. Yes, indeed. And we will have a flashback, uh, Clarence, so happily reminded me to insert a former episode or a previous episode of this very podcast where I was ranting about my dislike of Captain Marvel. So tonight I went out and pulled that episode and I have almost finished editing. So by the time this podcast goes out, you can check out discussing comics and our review on Captain Marvel. So absolutely. Fantastic. 
So just out, just out of curiosity, I just uh, was googling uh, terminus, and I Nicole and I have the same problem. If you Google relativity, it will take you a long time before you actually get yeah. to the podcast <laughs> because I I chose a dumb word to try to, and terminus is almost as bad. You got a lot of yeah, it's got like a lot of people. They think of uh, Walking Dead yes. gets some hits, right. and I think yeah. there's even a Walking Dead thing for terminus. And yeah, I was trying to find a Doctor Who related thing that was related to Atlanta. You yeah. know, because that was Atlanta's old name. That's brilliant. You know, yeah, but and what I'm is, seeing is a lot of stuff about Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. So I just say Terminus, a Doctor Who podcast. I guess that gets you there. <laughs> right. I need to go. Well, I just tried. Or... I just tried Terminus podcast and it took me straight to it. There oh, you go. Awesome. So Yay. everybody do that. Go to Terminus. Yay. Search for Terminus podcast and you'll see it. Yeah. So, Good deal. Well, for anyone listening, thank you for listening. Let us know what you think about this episode. Did you enjoy it? Did you like it? Let us know. Send us some feedback. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Discussing Who. And also, if you are subscribed to us on Apple Podcast, do us a favor and leave us a review. It will definitely help us be discovered using the Apple algorithm. So please do that. We would definitely appreciate it. And thank you again for listening. We will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre, they've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audibletrial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that?